Saying low, Apple Music. Thanks for joining us on the interview series. My guest this week is the remarkable award-winning actor Kate Blanchett, who takes on a really challenging role in the new Todd Field film Tar, playing Lydia Tar, one of the most respected and famous conductors in modern music. It would be enough to tell her story and to take us through the intricate discipline of conducting a full orchestra at that level. I mean, the movie is fascinating at how deep it takes you into the craft of conducting music. But beyond that, there's also this very simmering tense subplot that evolves over what is ultimately an anxious and brilliant experience. We're focusing on that amongst many other things right here on the interview series. I'm going to get out of the way so you can hopefully enjoy this conversation with Kate Blanchett. It is miraculous, I think. And that's the thing we talk about miracles as coming from other places. But I mean, music is connected to another realm. That's what this film does all the way through. In a whisper. Yes, this is now an ASMR session. And then we're going to just descend into silence. Totally. Yeah, I know. That's ultimately what you really want. You told me that. that is, before. I don't want to. Yeah, the cage for. I know. 442. I know. I'm sorry. I can probably get away with that for about seven minutes and then your PR's going to. Well, it wasn't much one. longer than that. Isn't it 12 minutes? The cage? I, I mean, the cage is 12. I can Go do, I can do half of it. Okay. We'll send people to sleep. It's not going to work. No, um, it's not going to work. But that's, that's what a magnificent thank you. That's fantastic. I mean, Todd Field will be very happy. Well, it's interesting for me. There's a lot to talk about in this film, and it's wonderful to meet you, by the way. And thank you. Yes, likewise. Thank you for taking us into some incredible stories and committing so wholesale to these stories and to these characters. And it's just, it's, it's a rare thing to be able to experience something through someone else's eyes and, um, and forget about your life for a second. So it's, I, I've always appreciated and loved your work. So thank, thank you. Thank you. I like to forget about my life for a second. I bet you do. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you do. Well, you know what? You know, you, you just said as well before something that was really revealing and lovely, and I'll put it in a nice way, which was that, um, you know, the work, what you do, and there's that, and that's the purpose, and that's the desire, and then there's a little bit of this that has to come along for the ride. And I sort of wonder what that balance is like for you, because when you're not working, you're not out. You're not out and about. You live your life. Yeah. I mean, when, look, sometimes there's a lot to say in, you know, not not... I don't see work, it sounds sort of counterintuitive, particularly in America, because I think there's a sense that um, in American acting culture mm. is that you have to bring of yourself the personal details of your life into your work. Yeah. Whereas That's I, the marketing. I, yeah, yeah. I see it as an escape or an expanse of, yeah. of that which I know. And when you're working on a, on a film like Tar, there was just so much I didn't know. Yeah. And so I feel like it's a departure you know, my favorite thing in the entire universe is when you watch uh, a piece of dance and the dancer lifts off into the air and you don't know whether they're ascending or descending. There's this moment of suspension yeah. and sometimes you feel that and that's that's what I crave is those moments where you lift off with a bunch of actors with great writing yeah. and in this case with great music and it sort of is, it, it transports you and then hopefully transports the audience. Yeah, it's a beautif beautifully put and that, that whole kind of desire to lean into the unknown and serve your curiosity and to find something that you, you can come away from with a better understanding and if you do you know, a great job, then we will too. This was very deep though. I mean, this wasn't just taking on the role of somebody who works in an orchestrated environment and conducts um, from somewhere special. It, it, you had to really embody that skill. I mean, and it is mm. one of the most difficult things in music to truly understand unless you do it. Yeah, conducting. Yeah, mm. it's a, it's a, it's a, 
It's it's um it's, it's metri- a piece of alchemy. It's metronomic. It's emotional. It's there's everything that is in music, and but it's also you know you have to be responsible for all of these players. But it's it's profound control yeah. and discipline. Yeah, and I think that that's that's something that that we understand in elite sports men and, and and women and I think we understand it in in um, uh, concert musicians mm. and you know musicians that you would showcase on the show all the time you know that sense of discipline and long-term preparation in order to play the music great music mm. but it's not often thought about with with actors you know and and the other thing is it's hopefully when you play a role when you embody something and um, with a bunch of people that that people don't think about the preparation they just get transported in the way that they get transported with a great piece of music. Yeah. But there was a lot, you know, that I that I had to do to even understand the alchemy of conducting because it's such a weird, contrapunctal, um, uncoordinated-looking profession because yeah. from an audience perspective, you see the back. Yeah. They seem out of sync with the music because, of course, you have to – you have to be ahead, a yeah. breath, always a breath ahead of the musician, musicians whilst being absolutely in, in the moment, which I sort of understood from many, many years being on stage. You know, I understood that relationship to an audience. Did you have ensemble. to be a beat or a half a beat ahead just in order to make sure that there's a there's a chemistry, there's a synergy within the performance? Well, when you're working, you know, if you're playing Blanche Dubois or, mm. or Hedda Gabler or Electra, then, you know, you know that there's a kind of... Uh, then the audience will often know the story, like those great orchestral works, Mahler Five, which is at the heart of the of, of the film Tar, is that you have to surprise the audience, and you know what's coming, and you know the breath and the energy that you you, um, you need to get there. But you also know that, in fact, a pop a prop has just broken yeah. that you're going to need in yeah. five minutes time, and and so your brain is also working on a technical level, and and a light has gone up. On you know upstage right, so you won't be able to stand where you need to stand. Yeah. So how how are you going to do that? So it's you're sort of riffing a lot of the time, and that's the exciting thing is that you can rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and prepare and prepare and prepare, but then you've got to be alive to the happy accidents that happen. That connection between the theatre and the, this particular role it makes total sense. And uh, and and in a way, I wonder whether Todd, the director, um, he recognised that as well that that you would be more. Um, uh, not prepared, but just open to this particular type of role, given that you'd spent time on the theatre, and that's where Lydia Tarr lives, is on a theatre in front yeah, of musicians. Yeah, on 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 a, on a stage. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'd also with my husband, I'd I'd run a big cultural institution mm. in Australia, so I understood the pull between the kind of the administrative um, fundraising end of something, the mm. HR end of, of of running, you know, having you know, 200 employees who's, and are, you know, and, and needing to foster emerging artists whilst supporting mid-career artists and um, having a diverse programming of being as inclusive as possible. And yeah. then yeah. you get to escape to the rehearsal room. So I I don't know whether Todd knew that. that. It's just reality and fantasy on on steroids. I mean, it is just yeah. the human experience and then what it translates to, into the passion it, on just all, all steams ahead, right? What what for me... In, for you, in, yeah, when you're running something like that, but you're also, re, you know, you're doing it from a place of passion, the original passion from mm. the theatre, wanting to be a part of fostering the creative vision of, of others mm. um, using your experience. But then to your point, leaning into that space, of like HR, people's expectations, mm. people's livelihoods, ego, the yeah. ego of people when they haven't reached their goal yet. Yeah, I mean, do you? I mean, do you find that with what you do? Because mm. obviously, you have this massive platform, mm. and so there's a, a sense that you know you've got to be really, 
you have to lean into the things that interest you, right? Because yep. if, if if you're not engaged, then there's not a snowflakes chance in hell that, the, you know, yep. the listener's going to be engaged. Yep. But then do you feel like, well, I've played a lot from this genre. I really need to push into this genre. Definitely. I mean, how much do you... Definitely the same because, I, you know, I, for, first of all, I love all kinds of music. That was something I was blessed with at birth. I'm, I've never leaned into one genre. And so from my perspective, um, it's, it's finding a connection between all those things. And the only thing that really matters there is authenticity and the ability to really sell it. And that sounds like a gross thing to say, but selling's not bad if you love something. Yeah. Making others feel something, trying to put them in a place where they, they open their ears just a tiny little bit more yeah. to listen to something. And so I definitely do. And I feel that if I'm indulging a little bit in one particular area, then I'll, I'll pivot deliberately. It's conscious. Mm. But it's also what you're doing is, and this is what really, I mean, I'm, I've, I've really noticed um, in the last few, few years maybe it's because i've been i've been around for a while <laughs> but um the 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 lack of the creative producer mm. you know and so i mean i i now really really appreciate a really well produced album mm. and it's what you do is you mm. juxtapose things because it's often people might might like a particular track but when you juxtapose it straight away with another sound yeah, yeah. you listen to the next song yeah. incredibly differently you know i was talking to an artist about this the other day and i was saying every great artist will, will get to a point where they're willing to let go of any expectation or anything they've achieved before where they're willing to absolutely mm. ignore the ambition that drove them as a as a young person and mm. start almost start all over again you know um mm. and and i think that that is when you really start doing your best work i, yeah. I, I really do yeah, I agree. I think I think it's when when you can feel something about to break. Yeah, you kind of, I mean, it's 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 that wabi sabi thing, isn't it? Is that that something is truly beautiful when there's a flaw yeah. in it, and you have to lean into the broken part, which is where failure happens, which is where, you know, it's so publicly exposing. You know, I've got four kids, and and I know that their generation is profoundly terrified of failure. There's because a oh my gosh. It's so public and yeah. and so they feel that that pub, that their failure becomes bigger than what they're going to learn from it. I mean and that's maybe that's where Todd and I connected is that neither of us were frightened of that feeling. And that's where, you know, this film that we've made together, it's about, it's a process film. It's a rehearsal film. It's yeah, not, it is. and so the experience of that art imitating life, the, the process of making it was so innovating. And um, I felt so alive because I, even though I knew the story, yeah. I didn't exactly know how it was going to just the way come you get together. to stretch out into it. There were times mm. when I watched this film, Kate, where I, I, I felt like it wasn't a film. I really mm -hmm. felt like this was. I was watching the rushes of a documentary that had yet to be turned into oh, something. Oh, that's so cool. Because no, that Todd said from the beginning that he really wanted to – it's a terrible moment mm. when, when you go and you watch a film about filmmaking mm. or you watch a film about a painting, a mm. painter, or you watch a film about a, you know, a musician or, um, and you think, please, please don't turn the canvas around because yeah. I know that someone from the art department painted that. Oh, no, no, I was hoping you were going to be greater than that. He really wanted it to be a fly on the wall. Like yeah. so when we were rehearsing um, uh, the Marla's Fifth, he wanted to feel like it was just, um, you know, like a, like a documentary, you know, yeah. that, and we were fortunate in that we were working. I mean, I will never, ever forget it. I mean, I, no, I didn't think when I came out of drama school that I'd be standing up um, conducting the um, the Dresden um, mm. Philharmonic mm. and they had to act. Mm. So they were our actors. And it was really, there were some big stakes moments that they had to, to do. I mean, they were outside their comfort zone. I was outside my comfort zone. And, and somehow you find that thing 
you know, together that, that neither of you expected, which was really exciting. There has to be a little bit of imposter syndrome that surely goes along with the idea of stepping into a role in particular. For I live in yeah, the imposter syndrome. Exactly, exactly. But of course, that can take on different faces. And sometimes it's fun to do that. And sometimes it can really strike at you at the core of your own sense of self-belief. Do I have the confidence? Can I do this? Now, when you're standing in front of a, a group of musicians like that, and this is what they do, and they look at people like you who do it for real, for real, were there ever moments when you stepped up there, rehearsal or no rehearsal, and, and had to feel that, had to embody ta and become that, where you were like, am I going to break out of my character here because someone over there is playing the violin looked at me a little funny or do, am I you know what I mean like yeah it's, it's, it took a long time to win over the double basses I will not lie the horn <laughs> section I was warned about the double bassist. <laughs> no it I mean look I, the conductors that I spoke to and you know watch a myriad of documentaries and listen to lots of recordings but when they talk about their work they they do speak about that that thing of having to will will they will they um, be able to rise to yeah. to the great music that they're attempting to channel through themselves to the orchestra back out to yeah. to, to the audience so um, I think all great musicians must feel that but you I think what you learn to do is shift that the the um, the energy of that terror in into a productive way yeah but the problem is I think the the where the character is tragic in a way I think is that she's she's at a point where she's so profoundly uh, estranged from herself and from her gift and she started to think which I think a lot of you know you you would know this a lot of recording artists at a certain point in their career they get really obsessed with legacy well it's identity theft as well Mm. so what happens is you strike this you create this identity that ultimately gives you the fuel to go and achieve these wonderful things and then you take elements of your true self but ultimately and there's nothing wrong with this Bowie did it his whole life you find a way to develop identity grow and grow and grow but Mm. if you don't keep an eye on it it can turn on you and what I got from this character was that she was all completely consumed by her identity Mm. Yeah, her public identity. That's right. Yes, and and her identity as a you know um, the expectation of her the intendant of you know of uh, of a major major orchestra and and very aware of the sacrifices that get there. But you know the film's a lot about the time you know that it takes to 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 get to that place and how much time you have to spend. I mean, she's about to turn fifty. You know, yeah. she's thinking about time left rather than time spent. In, you know, and she's also um, thinking that, in a way, the bravest thing she needs to do as an artist is to bust that all apart and let it go. Because it's, you know, Peter Brooks says this really beautiful thing um, that you've got to hang on tightly and let go lightly. And that once you get near <laughs> or into a position of power, it's an intoxicating force. I mm. mean, yes, this is about a concert musician, but it, it could just as easily have been about an architect or, yeah. you know, yeah. someone who's, you know, the guru of Apple Music, you know. <laughs> you know? No, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like yeah. once, you're, once you're in a certain position, you think, well, how do I keep evolving here? And is the power actually making me become... I don't know the answer to this question, but is it calcifying my relationship yeah. to the instincts and and the kind of the questions that drove me into kind of even arriving in this seat right now? That's why know? the opening scene, which is you know, I've never seen anything like this where you've been sitting in a in a in a, in a seat watching a film, and I, I don't know the exact duration because I wasn't keeping time, but it, it, it was 
I want to feel it. Felt like nearly twenty-seven nearly, minutes. I yeah, don't know. <laughs> must, must be over ten of that of that interview where it's it's really. I mean, first of all, I mean, I'm not even going to get into the detail of how it begins, and it's it's also. Oh, you mean the I, talk right at the beginning? The, the it's almost like a beginning. prologue. Yeah, yeah, so it's a prologue at the beginning, and and it really introduces the character uh, in, in a lot of different layers, and it also introduces the way people feel about the character in that moment in time, which is mm. pure reverence and. You're someone who's been so heavily revered throughout your life for the work that you do, and yet you seem to wear it and carry it in a way that's realistic. <laughs> a lot of people struggle with it, and I wonder kind of how reverence feels, the, the real reverence in real life. I don't know. You know, for, for everybody who, you know, might revere you, there's many people who revile you. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I I think you have to take the good with the with the bad. It's it's hard to, to know what to do with uh, praise. Mm. Yeah, it's sort of... Um, and I, I think I realized very early on, you know, that, that there were well, when I and this is something I share with Todd too. I think is that when I came out of drama school all those years ago, um, <laughs> I don't think anyone really knew what to do with me. I didn't fit into a box, and um, and I certainly didn't think I had a film mm. career that mm. wasn't on my horizon. So I sort of just had to seize any opportunity that came my way or make an opportunity out of something that looked like a piece of trash to somebody else you know and and um and sort of become my own um i don't know i'm my i just had to i just had to look around for things and i and also i didn't really i didn't really have any place in particular I wanted to get. I had a vague, you know, someone asked you, they always ask you when you leave high school, what do you want to do with your yeah. life? I went, I want to travel with my work. What that a great was, answer. That, that was all I wanted to do. No, but that's do. a beautiful you answer know? because I a lot of the I times, you know, one. yeah, you most certainly have and, and continue to do so. And that's, and not just, I know what you mean by that, but also travel through your work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is the joy and, and, and privilege of, of, um, being a working actor is that you you do get to inhabit lots of different yeah. um, identities and and so it's really taught me that you know my sense of identity yeah. who I am or how people perceive me it's a it's a fluid thing you know so it's not something that I've ever spent a lot of time dwelling on or um, you know and I, I I'm hoping it doesn't sort of calcify too too quickly because it can be I find it can be limiting. You know, I'd rather think about other people's experiences. This is quite an experience. And this character um, is really interesting for me. I respected her greatly and I admired her ability and, and, and the climb and, 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 the, and the destination. Mm. There was times I struggled to connect with her or f- you can use the l word you can say like but you didn't <laughs> like her didn't really like her <laughs> you don't have to put your thumb up but I, I really liked her when she was with her daughter so you struggle to 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 find um likability there it, yeah. it, except for those moments when you, know, you could see she was striving to like herself that was maybe i'm overthinking it i'm an overthinker but when she was with her daughter you could see that she was really searching for a way to get back to her true nature and then she'd have to go back and almost mm. be the person people needed her to be it's funny isn't it because um i think we like to be able to place people and their concerns their jobs their perspectives into neat little bundles and you know of 20 characters and and we the thing I always think about a character um whether it's a character in a novel or a character in film one that I've played one that I've watched is that that we're different we're constant we're different people with you know all the different people we encounter and um I wanted to make that 
that relationship with her daughter very special. It was like an island of that she was a very different creature yeah. with. But I also think with, and it's probably hard for me to be objective about it, but I, I, I think with the character that it's, we don't want to like her. Yeah. Because she does and says things. I mean, she's very funny. Funny and nice. Yeah, yeah. She's. Um, I mean, it, uh, well, some of the situations she finds herself in are absurd. Yeah. But we don't want to like her because she does things it, because of this fly on the wall filmmaking. Yeah. You see her do things, like steal things, take things, yeah. um, react to things in the way that we might, but we don't want to admit yeah. that we do. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be a concert musician to to yeah. sort of. Um, do and say things that you'd sort of regret later. Yeah. The sound design on this film is so fascinating to me. The film at the very core of it is about creating sound that is from a pure place, that is there to inspire, to heal, to emote, to to push people mm. to feel something, mm. all senses. And yet the way that it's used throughout the film is as a, a, an essentially important addition to the tension of this film. Mm. I mean... The doorbell transfer tr- translated and transposed over to the piano. Yes, it's a great moment, isn't it? Because she, yeah, because mm. it's weird. As someone who's gone to music my whole life and made it outside of my family and friends my life, I, I, I found it was giving me anxiety, and that's yeah. not something music often does. It's very mm. cleverly done. Yeah, um, she has. A, I mean, I don't know if you have this because you spend so much time listening so so deeply. Yeah, but she has a, a thing that I didn't even know was a uh, a syndrome or a quote unquote disorder was misophonia, mm, mm. which you know innocent sounds to to the average ear can can produce terror and rage yeah. and be, almost be amplified. Yeah, you know, there's a Roald Dahl story. I think it's called The Box, and it's about um, a man who invents a machine that um, where he can hear all organic sounds. He can hear the grass come growing. He can feel the leaves, you know, falling off the tree. You know, saying, "Here we go!" <laughs> and and then he he puts he puts it into his ear and he can't turn it off. So that means he hears the scream of, yeah. the, of the blades of grass as, yeah. as they're being mown. And so yeah. so that sort of quality is the downside of her gift is that she has um, an acute sensitivity to, to sound and a lot of conductors that I spoke to have a similar uh, a similar thing and so silence is an incredibly incredibly important, important thing uh, yeah so for me I mean I mean I'm I love Mahler's Fifth Symphony. I love, I love his second. I love the third. I mean, they were all magnificent. But there's a. In, someone was asking me the other day, what was my favorite movement? And I said, well, really, it's between the end of the scherzo, mm. in that breath, mm. when the orchestra rearranges themselves to play the adagetto. It's the suspension. It's that moment of silence Space. that is made by sound stopping. Yeah, it's the notes between the notes, and that's why I always. Um it's funny as well because when you when you when you see characters or you hear music by people that you can tell that they they reach a certain height in their life, um, something visceral that they can't feel in the day to day, they only feel it in that moment. Mm. I always feel like that's how Coltrane felt, or someone when mm. he wasn't in the moment, lost in all of that beauty, mm. that real life was hard him was hard for people yeah it's why i think there's a lot of distractions in real life when they're not playing music that ultimately take people down yeah i think so because it's an you know it's an energy that flows it's a life force you know and there's many different types of music of course it's in this particular film and i mean i I always turn to music when i'm thinking about Mm. a character because it speaks to the soul of the person you know the thing that they're either estranged from or they're yearning to express or that people don't understand you bring that into the character even if it's not an essential part of the character's 
personality. Yeah, and often it's contrapunctal because what what I did in this instance, I'd heard that Simon Rattle had um, he was he'd said once that he as from a young child he heard music all the time. And he just thought that this was something that everybody <laughs> did. And then he realised, in fact, this wasn't, yeah. you know, normal. Yeah. And so I thought, well, I'm going to put an earwig in my ear and I'm going to be listening to, to music the whole time. Every time I'm, you know, I'm having lunch with someone in a, in a scene or I'm just I'm talking to the orchestra, I'm going to be hearing something. You know, there's a kind of a level of distraction or preoccupation that wow. makes you feel like you're, you know, the character's alive. And then I, I thought, oh, well, it's, of course it's going to be Marla that I've listened to. But I know I listened to so many um, Gregorian chants and Gorecki and Xenarchus. And then, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd put on the Triffids or, you know, I'd put on tribal drums, you know, because often or and then sometimes I would literally list, listen to 60 beats a minute or I'd listen to sort of 125 beats a minute when, in fact, the character was walking really slow because you realise that oftentimes we sit on levels of anxiety professionally that you have to particularly right now, yeah. right now. No. <laughs> you know, no, not now. My heartbeat's slowing down. But, you know, like it's sometimes we, our, our mind, our spirit is, um, uh, or our distracted brain yeah. is working, um, even though we might be moving and speaking slowly, something else is going on internally. And I think in terms of your Coltrane reference, I think that that's you're constantly hearing music, experiencing the music, I, I imagine, mm. but then not being able to play it and release it. Yeah. Because that's the thing, the music Bernstein said is that, you know, that the, that the, um, the inhalation is, is, is the inspiration and the exhalation breathes out with the music. And to not being able to breathe with your instrument, yeah. I mean, that's the biggest thing is when, as a conductor, you can't play unless you have your instrument, that human instrument in front of you. And yet she is so challenging on a human interaction level. She struggles to connect with people, I think. I think she has a hard oh, don't time. don't we all? But there is a, a, a definitely a stronger correlation between someone who needs to inspire people in such an incredible way mm. and then when she's not on the podium, mm. struggles to identify. I mean, it makes total sense that you are listening to music and trying to find ways to move in and outside of other people and in, in your environment because mm. it's always like she's always disinterested in a hurry there's something always going on that's distracting her. a distraction yeah from the thing yeah. you know and i think that's in a way um she's very very estranged from herself yeah as a lot of people i think we became estranged from ourselves and then we found ourselves in the in the pandemic thank and also and thank you therapy mm, yeah thank you therapy yeah which she probably hasn't done enough of yeah you know and then we find ourselves in silence isolated, unable to ignore who we are. Yeah. And it was a really confronting moment for, That's a big for one. all of us. Yeah. That was a big one for me. I mean, that was, I, I know exactly the phase of my life when, when um, you know, what I created wasn't uh, communicating or connected properly to my true self. Mm. And it, it does, it requires a great unpacking and she didn't get that. No. Well, or did she? Ah, I, and maybe, you know, well, maybe yeah. yeah, maybe she was taken there. Yeah, because I mean, it's, it's also, she's a... Um, you know, something maybe. I mean, I think any connection that you have with a with a character is um, to to you personally is, is going to exist. You don't have to mine that too deeply. Sure. But but something that I I did connect to is the sense that she's people didn't know how to categorize her because she'd done a lot of different things. And there's a sense that people it's easier for people if you just do the one one thing yeah. and the fact that she'd gone down the Ukiyali Valley with the Shipibo Kanibo people yeah. and here she was yeah. running the greatest orchestra of, of all time getting ready to to um, perform Mahler 
is you juxtapose those two things. You think, wow, okay, so which one are you? Yeah. And, you know, you can be both of those things simultaneously. But you're right. The institutions that are, are, are there to support and, and foster the culture that she's in, aren't, I never felt they were 100% on board. They, they, they mm. appreciated the success and they appreciated her talents and abilities. There's always a feeling that when she closed the door in another reality beyond the film. Yeah. It, well, look, I mean, the board... Boards of cultural institutions, I mean, uh, shareholders, um, yeah. stakeholders, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, yeah. advertisers, the, the, the people at the, the top who run the multinationals who ultimately own all of these creative companies that we all work for, you know, it's, it's, um, they can totally get in the way because you, you wonder, you think, well, I'm in control of the music, am I not? You know, mm. this is what she's saying to herself. I'm the reason why you're all here. Mm. So shouldn't you just let me do what I'm doing? But of course, they've got a lot of compliance issues, you know, and, and she lives in a different world. She, you know, she if she's the wrong, uh, the, the, the right person at the wrong time. You know, you know, power, that's the word. And um, mm. and it, it really is one of those things where it's like um, you would you achieve a certain amount of success and respect and that translates into power and then people are attracted to it. And then it mm. becomes this it can become this very murky world yeah. of who does what and what's relatable and what's considered appropriate or inappropriate. And, we're, and I, we live in a time now and this is something that you have children. We have kids. Mm. I was 16 to 14 year old. I mean, the thrash that's oh, happening now is. Yeah, yeah. And it's good. I mean, in the end, it's going to be great because because boundaries and clarity are important. Mm. But but there are some stories. There are real stories out here that are confusing. It's a confusing time, and mm. and and this character plays into that brilliantly. I think because on the one hand, I, it's hard for me not to feel like there's some responsibility at play here. There's she's always trying to stay ahead of the story. Mm. She's trying to get rid of the emails. Do this. Do this. Do this. But at the end of it, it's like I never really feel like anything was actually presented that was clear. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the the, the subtlety of, of Todd's screenplay. And that you, she's a person who is constantly, which is admirable yeah. as an artist, is that she's always wanting to subvert expectations, not just for an audience, but for herself. But then when she feels that people on a personal level, a professional level, are starting to predict what she's going to do to her own detriment and to the detriment of others, yeah. she will kind of... She'll m- swerve. She'll swerve and, 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 and go the opposite direction, which is, is quite an immature thing to do. Well, there's people constantly trying to get in front of her and say, just stop and face the situation. This can be resolved if we face the situation mm. and figure out what is real. And she just is like, to your point, she's off somewhere else and, and is, yeah, using the work mm. as the North Star yeah. at all times. Yeah. And I mean, her, her partner um, in, you know, in work and life and played by the great Nina Hoss. It was so great to work with her. Yeah, amazing. You know, that she, they've had this um, fantastic partnership which is, you know, it's threatening to, to bust up. And I do think it's to do with the fact that on a, on a human level, she's, she's, she's thinking about time left. It's like, what do I need to do? And as a parent, as, a, as someone in a relationship, you do find yourself sometimes, I think, on a solitary path, even though we see her in a, in a massive community of, of musicians and in a really kind of um, previously successful um, musical partnership and a relationship. So it's, yeah, there's a lot going on. Do you think in some respects, thinking about where she ends up in the film um, and ultimately it feels like it's, I think in a way you could say it was taken out of her hands and she ultimately lost control, but I wonder whether that was by design in the subconscious way all the way along, that she was looking for something else all the way along. Yeah, I think I think unconsciously uh, it, there is a, 
It's it's look a creative force. We talk about making something, you yeah. know, giving birth to something, bringing yeah. something into the world, you know. But there's a, a parallel force in creativity, which is profoundly destructive, and um, you know, like that you think about Eve Klein. You know, burning the money. I'm sure yeah. <laughs> it's a political act yeah. as much as anything else. Yeah, yeah. You know, over the Seine. You know, um, or, or leaping into the air or risking death. I think as an artist, you have to be inconsistent in order to keep things fresh. You know, we're we're not political figures, really. Mm. I mean, and this is the complicated thing, isn't it? Is that you then have a platform, so people ask you to weigh in on on supposed political issues. Yeah. Um, but you want to be engaged in the world, but you're you are a rolling stone in the sense that you kind of you move you're, you're moving with the thing that you're absorbing and and reacting to. It was never like that hundreds or thousands of years ago. I mean, the role of art was there to entertain, and even if it, if it created a a perspective, it was it was never to influence the chamber. Mm. Or the or the or the you know those in power. It was never that. It was a reflection of the time, but never to influence. I agree. The idea of influence within the arts mm. is the difference between reflection and influence. I mm. think if you want to reflect on something and your voice be heard, just the same as it is by anybody up or down any street, that's mm. fine. Mm. But if you're expected to influence, that's a heavy as the head that wears the crown. In that, it's a, but it's also it's you can't know what yeah. is going to connect with people yeah. and you, you go back in 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 time centuries ago i mean artists were um pariahs they were on the outside yeah. they were terrifying figures they were shamanic you know um and and they or they were profiteers or they said things that were you know you had to if you were saying something inside the court you yeah. were performing inside the court and you wanted to say anything provocative it had to be done through symbolism that's and metaphor that's right that's right you know but but now it's it's sort of either you know big p political or it's just entertainment speaking of entertainment i, I you've been some in some of the most brilliantly created and entertaining films and it's a fine line between the two there's a lot of entertainment out there Yes, there's a lot of, I hate the word content. Content's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst. But you know what? It, it's almost kind of, I was going to say, it almost is an appropriate term because it is so mm. dismissive and that's what a lot of it is, right? We, it's all, and it's great. It's great to create. It's great to share. Mm. Everyone really in this planet should have a right to be able to create oh and my to God, share, yeah. right? Yeah. But it ultimately fills up, if you let it, it can fill up the, the finite mm. amount of space we have to absorb. And we mm. do have a finite amount of space. Um, I feel like, you know, you don't ever do anything as far as your work is concerned um, unless you absolutely want to do it. I don't honestly think that that's the case for everybody. I think some people feel they have to. Some people have different priorities. What ultimately gets you back in front of the camera? What is it? If, if you could boil it down to something simple or just a constant that you know inside yourself burns deep that when you know I have to do this. Well, <laughs> I find it very hard to say no and maybe I should get better better at it i mean in i say no in a lot of ways I was gonna but say. I, I don't but i but but no to a, a creative when someone throws the gauntlet down creatively sometimes it's um you know you you know you can help something get made something that you um uh that that if you're a small part of then that story can be told you know sometimes it's that if you you can be if you have a kind of a a platform or um you know, access to something that you can facilitate something. And sometimes it's, you know, it's just because I, I, I read something or I have a conversation with something, someone and uh, I want to be part of that ongoing uh, conversation because it's, it's the process in the end. 
because the process itself, um, it doesn't always have to be enjoyable, but stimulating. And then it has, a, I think the thing has a chance to be something. I mean, sometimes it's just to, to have fun, to be honest. But it's, it's usually just about, I don't know, the decision is already made before I've made it consciously, I think. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, a reaction to something you've done before. You know, you feel like, oh, I've been exercising that muscle and this, this, this arm's beginning to atrophy. And then something comes along and you think, oh, that's, I can, you know, learn to use my fingers again. More. Okay, okay. So, so you're so you, you, great at shoulders, great upper body, struggle a bit with the legs in terms of like the muscles. But what? I've got a bunion. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You've got a great excuse. But I mean, over the course of, you know, your work, what has been the area where the muscle required the most amount of work? They ultimately you felt, oh, okay. This is something that's really going to stretch me in a big way. Silence. Mm. I talk too much. I do too much. And it's really time to be silent. So How's here comes the John you? Cage. Yeah. It's not working particularly well this morning. <laughs> but I think, it's, I think it's silence. And my kids are constantly saying, would you just do one thing at a time? And then I say to them, okay, well, can you do your washing then? And then I might. It doesn't work. I've always had a sense that life is incredibly short. And so, you know, being, being part of something, being out there and being engaged, but it's also, you know, it's, it's sometimes good to be really, to, to be really simple. I mean, Matisse says this fantastic thing is just, you know, don't try and be original, just be, just be simple. And, and, and if something is, and be good, we have to be good technically, but then if something is there, it'll flow through you. I'm so glad you said that because a friend of mine who was working on a big album and, and everyone around us was like, it's got to be something. We've got to do something original with this. And I called Oh, him, my God, that's death. It's worst. It's the worst. And he said, you know what, mate? You know what? I, I, don't really, I don't really like that word, make something original. Like, you could go and like, ride a bike on Mars, yeah? But will <laughs> anyone watch it? You know? <laughs> you know, and I just love that. And I think we do put a huge mm. amount, especially because... We have a, we do a great job of um, we've we've democratized creativity to such a degree we've established that's a great thing to such a degree that we're now I think we are experiencing some form of limitation in terms of what we see on screen what we hear in our in our headphones however anyone creates maybe with the exception of canvas where I really feel people can immerse themselves in something abstract enough where it feels out of control mm. but I worry sometimes that we're heading towards a loop. What a, a linear, literal loop. Yeah, a little bit because where I just you start hearing yourself back. Yeah, and you just start, exactly, and, and and the idea of originality becomes all the more impossible to achieve. Well, I mean, you know, like I, I think a lot of things that we we see. I mean, the the streamers are voracious, and they make spaces that need to be filled, and then they have a certain way of developing things, so that even even things that seem to be about things differently they taste the same they taste the they're same they're made in the same way and, and they stay around about the same amount of time mm. as everything else that's the other thing yeah we're on to the next thing yeah i mean it's that's why i mean i, I love i love uh, discovering things on walks or or yeah. going into i'm not a vaguely religious at all but you know going into a cathedral and just sitting and smelling that and just thinking wow this, for good or ill, has been here for a long time, and a lot of people thing. have me 
moved through with a lot of yearning and prayers and hopes and dreams, and they've sat here. It's like, oh, oh my favourite spaces. It's so beautiful. Yeah, and old theatres. You know, because every time you, you finish a, a show, it gets painted back to black, and you just need to scratch your nail down, and you go, my God, there's yeah, the layers <laughs> of history. I know. These walls hold such an amount of, you know, energy do and you, ideas. Do you feel the history when you walk into a room? Are, are you attuned? Do you go like, oh, man, I can, because sometimes I go and record studios and I'm like I can still hear the notes I can still I, I can yeah. feel the experience in here definitely definitely there was this place um a friend of mine Julian Roosevelt who's a, a, a what do you call him anymore a video artist sure. um, in Berlin we we shot this um thing about artist manifestos and one of the manifestos we shot in a in these three rooms in Berlin in a um a sound a, um, a sound university yeah and one was a completely dead space and one was a really live space. And being inside the dead space. Isn't that the weirdest thing ever? I've done it as well. Yeah. Did that? Did it freak you out? You, you know what's really interesting is that from DJing for years and years, I, I developed a manageable but pretty consistent low tinnitus, right? So I can, yeah. I can hear it, but it's it, I've learned to live with it and it's cool. Um, when I was in that room, complete silence, a dead space, no sense of echo, reverberation or reverb. It went down. Did it? It went down. I could barely hear it. It was the craziest thing. I would have thought it would have been the opposite. That's no, really interesting. No. Couldn't, and could you feel or hear your heartbeat? Yeah, I could hear my heartbeat. I could hear things I've never heard before. Mm. Like, it's so strange. You sort of hear a tiny little rustle. I don't even know what that was. Was mm. it like a follicle? Like, I mm. don't know. It was really weird. But what was interesting to me was I thought that I would feel some kind of anxiety being in that space. Because, again, of what I was going to hear and, and, and being too, all too aware of my environment and being a little bit like you, by the sounds of it, needing mm. to move mm. all the time. Mm. Restlessness, it's called. I've got to fill it. In the biz. i got to fill it. <laughs> i got to fill it because if I don't fill it, what am I going to do with it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, did, I just didn't. It, it was calming and, it, and everything I was worried about just fell away. But you surrendered. I think yes. there's so few moments yes. um, in our lives where we truly, truly surrender. And, uh, you know, that's a great act of humility and it is somehow accepting um, our powerlessness and that we have an incredible power in that moment through through surrendering to an experience I often positive say, experience well not, i often say not, you not know a brutal you, abusive experience it's it's, it's true <laughs> but i often say that um the, the true act of letting go exists at birth and exists at death and everything in between we're just trying to hold on to way too tight yeah. You know, and, and old age, though, bladder control. That's something <laughs> yeah, I'm not so looking forward to. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that Have one. Have you figured out how you're going to do it yet? It's weird. I've been thinking adult about diapers. that. Adult diapers. It's that simple. It's a good, that's oh, a, it's a good oh solution. Oh, my God. Speaking of adult diapers. Okay. I was on stage. Um, I was on Broadway. That's the TikTok clip. Mark that one up. <laughs> yeah. I was, and it was New Year's Eve, and so we had to do the show on news. We had to get out because Times Square was going to fill up. Yeah. And, um, and someone told me one of the most depressing facts is that apparently on, on New Year's Eve in New York, right. the sale of adult diapers <laughs> goes through the roof because once you get in to, to Times Square, you can't, get out. you can't get out and you're drinking you beer, you're eating pizza. It's like, I mean, God, don't you think the garbage collectors need to be the best paid people on the planet? Particularly Without a shadow on New Year's of a day. Yeah, that big bonus day. But mm. I would say that the moment that you go into a store as, a, as an adult who lives a life that's probably to some degree within equilibrium, a balance there, work, mm -hmm. live, family, raise, eat, nurture, Surrender. pay bills, 
a little bit of surrender here and there maybe <laughs> on New Year's Eve. But the day that you go into a store, consciously and willingly buy some adult diapers. And I am going to ring in the new year in my own Put sh- those f***ing things on. I'm, I'm going for it. <laughs> I'm going I'm f- for it. going for it. I mean, that is going... You got your diapers? <laughs> yeah. You got your diapers? Don't be a f***ing idiot. Yeah, put on your di- Put your f***ing diapers on. Yeah, double bag yourself, We're mate. We're not doing it like 2017 <laughs> again, mate. It's not, it's not, it's not Learn your lesson. Have you figured it out? Talk about weird things to think about, right? You talk about life being too short. Mm. It's an interesting observation again. I, I, I don't disagree about that, that idea of like feeling like you need to make the most of time. Have you figured out how you're going to, how you're going to like really die yeah like really age like like is it is it like a really comfortable hospital bed with a great view and bellinis every hour on the hour like just top me up until i go like have you thought about it that sounds good look i i mean (laughs) god i mean i just had a friend whose um father passed away really unexpectedly Mm. and all you can say to yourself in that moment is it was quick yeah i'd look i want to be prepared for it Mm. I, you know, oh, I, okay, that's interesting. Preparation. So I think, I mean, you know, people too talk about um, like a lot of people when I was at university, you know, in their early 20s, and I thought it was a bit morbid at the time, but maybe not. You know, they were everyone was reading the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. And I just, okay, I what know. university did you go to, oh, mate? I don't know, the University of Life. Okay, now most yeah. people were reading something, <laughs> not reading at all. Beano. They were reading Beano. Um, Where's yeah. Kate? You don't want to know, mate. <laughs> she's she's, she's preparing a, for her own death. She's, she's turned d- 21. <laughs> she's ready. No, no, I don't know. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, I hope, I hope I'm hope i surrounded by those that I love, as corny as that No, that, that's, that's the number one. Number two is I just want to, I just want to be glamorous and glorious. I just want to look as cute as I can. And Barbara just, Cartland. Yeah. yeah. Bellini's every hour on the hour. Yeah. Top me up until I'm done. That sounds good. Nurse Ratchet, no, you know, just, just I don't know about it. what Nurse Ratchet in in the mix. Glamorous Nurse Ratchet. <laughs> now we're delving into places that maybe you and your wife should delve into and you shouldn't go any further with me in a public space. <laughs> Let's just stop right don't there. Don't tar me, mate. Don't tar me with that. <laughs> you know, the person who was ready to pass over across yeah, yeah. used to be the most powerful magnetic yeah. person in the village. Yeah. You want to be around them because you knew yeah. that they were about to see and experience, experience something that was mystical and magical. Surely and that, is it the only time that we can truly create context out of it all. Yeah. And look, I mean, I, I remember when my grandmother, who um, maternal grandmother who I grew up with, mm-hmm. and my my mother was with her when she died, and she said it was the biggest privilege of my life yeah. to be there when she when she passed away. Yeah, my wife said the same thing. Her, her, she went and had that experience with her father. My mom has dementia right now and is... Oh, I'm sorry. It's Thanks. And it's, it's such a brutal way. I mean, it's just, it's like horrible to see. And it, it really makes, it, what it really drove home for me was memories like the only currency that truly matters out of any of this is experience yeah and also music that's the thing yes because she dances and that's what drives that's how she communicates is through movement and music god that's what i wanted i want to go out dancing yeah 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 so you just have to make her safe so she's not going to yeah injure herself but if you can go out dancing yeah yeah, it's pretty incredible. I've got some amazing videos of her like dancing to Peter Gabriel and it's like she goes somewhere else and it's it's just wild to watch. And that's what's so beautiful about things like music is that it speaks the language. We always try to – I spent my whole life dancing about architecture. Yes, 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 yes. Right? All I'm doing is trying to figure it out. Yeah. And what I figured out is they really – you will never figure it out. But it's great for the curiosity value. And if you're a fan, I just get story after story. But it is – how can you not believe in magic and then – hear what you heard on the podium and understand what it feels like to be in that room. Mm. How can you not believe him? I mean, it's magic. It is magic. 
It, it is miraculous, I think. And that's the thing is we, 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 we talk about miracles as, being, as coming from other places. But, I mean, music is connected to, to another realm, I think. And, and, you know, to have, and that's why when you, there's nothing beats the live experience. You know, there is something miraculous about it. You know, when someone makes a note and puts another note beside us. And, you know, the human voice, I mean, unaccompanied human voices melding, you know, throat singers. I mean, they're, yeah, look, coulda, shoulda, woulda. I know. If only I could have been a throat singer. I know, it's right, Fatale, can I? Mm. I mean, I mean, unbelievable. And I mean, that's why I love Jeff Buckley so much is because yes. he looked to translate that into something that we mm. could identify and understand. He went and did the work and then tried to be inspired, as others have, be mm. inspired enough to translate that. How does music play a role in your life outside of your work? Well, I used to listen to music all the time. Speaking of dancing, you know, when we had two kids, now we have four. Yeah. We used to there used to be music every morning. We'd wake up at six a.m. and just put something random on, and we just we'd all of us would dance around the house. And then, of course, as they get older, they have to go to a thing called school, you know. And then you have to <laughs> do a thing called a job. Do they though? <laughs> do they though? <laughs> do they do they they're sixteen. Though? I mean, they'll learn to read one day, right? <laughs> Um, you know, and then and that and then it, the house got noisier and noisier, and so I'd always listen to music. You know, our cars. Yeah. You know, ho- oh, hopefully electric vehicles. Yep. And we will solve the lithium problem with yep. batteries. Yep. We're on it. Yep. Um, but you know that that that's a really private space. People, you know, do things in their in. I used to listen to a lot of music in 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 the car. I was driving here today, and I had this experience. I don't know. I was on the plane coming back from London last night, and I had a Bloody Mary, and I put on an Oasis and live at Nebworth thing, and I it was 1996, and Liam's just up there, and he sounds like an angel, and Noel's amazing, and there's 125,000 young men. And women getting smashed on pints. Did you cry? Of, I cried. Yeah, I cried. I cried yeah. because there was a moment in Slide Away when he just hits this note and everything just elevates, even on a plane. And yeah. I got my car and I put on Slide Away. And I called my. I nearly called Noel. I'm glad I didn't. I nearly called Noel Gallagher on a Friday night just to randomly tell him, which is a no-no. And I just, it just. But I was Glastonbury this year. Listening to that played again. It was just like the whole like. 25, you know, how many, 250,000 people? It was just like everyone was singing that song. Let me be the one (laughs) who shines with you and we can slide away. Slide away. Come on, f***ing Patsy left me with nothing but a f***ing tea bag. Come on. Oh, my God. See, there we go. You can go home a happy man. <laughs> I've had a great time hanging out with you. <laughs> Likewise. It's been really fun. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I really, this movie is this movie was not initially, on paper, this movie is not for me. As an anxious human being who looks to music to relieve my anxiety, I found this to be a tense and, and very enthralling watch. And I just, I want to say, though, at the end of it, I was blown away. Um, I love it. And you pulled off an incredible feat in this film of humanizing somebody whose life is just falling. Complicated. Complicated and kind of falling down around her at a pace which is not normal for film. Yeah. Normally, the reveal happens quicker than it does. But boy, when it does, it falls apart real quick. Yeah. And so the tension that you had to exist in as a character for most of this film. It's a ghost story in a lot of ways. I love a ghost story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's to ghost stories. Yeah. She is. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to my latest conversation on the interview series with Kate Blanchett. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, then please feel free to follow, add a rating or comment. Next week, myself and Alex Turner, one of the great lyricists, performers and musicians of his generation, joins me right here on the interview series. Alex Turner from Arctic Monkeys. Take care.